This is Mouth Media Network. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Material Is Your Business on the Mouth Media Network. We are a new show on materials, manufacturing, and everything in between. And I can't believe it, but we've already been a top show in iTunes in the fashion and beauty category. So thank you guys for joining us on this wild ride. This is just the beginning. Today we are here with Julius Sobizak. He is the president of ZSK, a German-based company that manufactures embroidery machines. And what they're doing is solving 21st century problems with textile manufacturing using age-old technologies and processes. And the show starts right now. Hi, my name is Julius Sobizak, and I'm president of ZSK Embroidery Machines. And I love technical embroidery because we are using the technology or craft that's out there for hundreds of years to produce products that no one would have ever thought that a textile machinery could produce. From New York City, this is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Your hosts for this episode are... Samantha Cortez, international consultant and founder of Samantha's Platform, and Stephanie Benedetto, CEO and co-founder of Queen of Raw. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome, everyone. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. I'm joined by my co-host, Samantha Cortez. Hola. And our guest today is Julia Sobisak. Hello. We are really excited to have you. In the first part of our show, we just kind of like to get a... Reader's Digest thumbnail sketch about who you are and what you do. So while I give you a moment to think about what you want to say, while you're thinking about it, quick bit of housekeeping. You can find us on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. As well as hear full episodes on MaterialIsYourBusiness.com, as well as on Google Play and iTunes. So Julius, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? So I'm working with ZSK since 2010, and since that time, over the last six or seven years, we have spent a lot of effort on really developing what was there before in the field of technical embroidery to use this old technology or craft of embroidery to really create a new field that, as you said before, solves 21st century problems, not only in the textile industry, but also for flexible electronics and all sorts of other applications. And how is it that you came to such a position? Obviously, it's a real specialty with a lot of technical know-how. What's your background? So my, my background is that I studied mechanical engineering, and it's a family company. And um, yeah, so I got into that position and started from there. Did you always know this is what you wanted to do with your life? Well, I started when I was much younger and, and spent, you know, holiday jobs and stuff like that as at DSK. So I always enjoyed it. And we have a great team. We have a very good technology. So I, I really enjoy working with the team, with the customers of the industry. So, yeah. Let's um, get in a little bit into the details. You know, this has been my passion for a long time. Let's talk about the, um, the different type of technologies that we're using uh, now for the future going going forward on to taking from the past, bringing it to the present and embroideries. So, Samantha, 
you know embroidery machines very well and what embroidery machines can do and you know the market in, in the u.s most people looking at embroidery machines in the u.s have seen all these single head machines forehead machines that that you find in many shops that produce logos that produce emblems that do lettering that do some embellishment um that is one part of embroidery there's also a very big industry of embroidery in the fashion world um in the home textile world and these are out there for many many years and machine embroidery multi-head machine embroidery is out there now for about 60 years i mean our company's in business for 130 years but in the multi-head embroidery machines for 60 years now of the last 10 to 15 years and that's what's very interesting is that we have looked at what can we do with our technology to really solve problems that that no one thought about as of yet and the first product that, that was out there for technical embroidery were the heated seats and cars. So when, when we talk to people today about technical embroidery, no one can imagine what so, sort of problems you can solve using this technology. The heated seat in a car is a very good example because most people have no idea how the um, seat is heated in their cars. And all it's about is that a wire is stitched to some sort of foam or backing that then is, you know electrified and, and heats up the seat. I think that was the first machine that I was like, okay, I, I, I've done embroidery for many years and I've known you from when you started mm -hmm. actually. But, um, that, that, that part, when I saw that, um, machine in your warehouse that laid down those wires, I was like in love. I think I'm the only person that gets so excited just to see a machine as a woman and be so feminine. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's that's. It's, what else do we do besides just laying down wires? Well, you see, in embroidery, there are three main technologies. So we call it different embroidery hats. On these typical embroidery machines, we have a normal embroidery hat with typically something like nine, twelve, or fifteen color machines. That means that there are fifteen different needles, and you can put fifteen different colors of threads on on them, for example. But we have two more hats. So there's another hat that we call K-hat, which is there for chenille and moss embroidery that many people maybe know from children's clothing or something like this because it makes a very um, soft embroidery. And, and yeah, um, another hat is what we call the W-hat. And that's used very much in fashion and, and home textile, which stitches down cords or tapes. Now... We, we're every day, you know, finding new applications for these three heads, what can be done with these three basic technologies. The second part of, of the technology that we are working with is that we have something called a border frame, which is basically just a simple frame that can move in the X and Y direction. Now, so going back, and I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, on those the Z the the heads that we were talking about the laying of the of 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 the type of things before we get into the border in, into the border frame that that's actually very crucial onto the equipment but that those those types of heads that lay down it, the consistency of the fiber one lays it down with a zigzag and that's stitching down the wire the other one creates this type of um, elevation of 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 the fiber that creates some type of connectivity. So before going into all the details of the frames, the porter frame and how it moves, I really would like to get more in depth onto the different type of heads. 
uh, like the W head laying down the wire? So in the field of technical embroidery, we have a few different requirements. For certain applications, we want to lay down something. Something could be wires. It can also be different materials like carbon, Kevlar, glass fiber. There's a huge variety of such materials that, that we want to lay down. Now, laying down means fixing. For that, we use a zigzag stitch to fix it. Now, next question you'd be, of course, asking is, what happens if you hit such a wire? Yeah, if the part gets damaged and you're right about that. So the, the machines do have a wire hit detection system that would detect when a wire gets hit. Now, the normal embroidery hat, we need it. For example, let's say we want to create flexible electronics. Now, electronics need different layers for the wires. Now, if, if we have conductive wires and they cross each other, we would create a short circuit. So we sometimes need thread in order to create isolation bridges over those wires in order to do several layers. That's something where we need the normal embroidery hat. Another thing is that customers want to implement electronic boards or RFIDs or other components where we can use technologies such as sequin devices where we need a normal embroidery hat to fix down those components. Now, the K-hat that, that you talked about with this um, very fluffy embroidery that's being created is something fantastic that you can use when you want to produce electrodes. So there are companies out there producing conductive yarns and using the technology, we create electrodes that are, you know, for example, used in the wearable market. It's actually interesting because those are mostly seen, um, the K-head, that, that type of laying down of that fiber is usually seen in the, um, the college, college uh, letters and in the hats, the little like, elevation of, of, of fabric, of threads and wires. Um, I've seen when uh, with the W head, I've also seen a lot of the uh, not only laying down the carbon fiber, um, it's laying out different other types of fibers to implement and make it into skateboards and other other types by combining it with um, epoxy. Can yeah, you you're right. More information? And, you know, you would always ask yourself, why do people use an embroidery machine for these jobs? And... The answer is quite simple, because our frame can move into the X and Y direction. So we can actually just produce the part that is needed. So afterwards, when they cut it into size, and the right size, there's almost no loss of material. Different to the textile world, where we just have cloth, which is a rather less expensive item, we are now looking at materials that are very, very expensive. And when they use other technologies that might be fantastic for rectangles or squared components... They might not be the right application, the right solution to, to produce circles or other shapes that, that are round where if I would cut them out of a rectangle, I'd probably lose up to 50% of the material that I originally used. And, you know, judging the environment, but also judge, uh, looking at cost of the part, that's where the embroidery machine with the frame moving into the X and Y direction really brings a huge benefit. Yeah, the, the sustainable aspect to it as well as it makes business sense if you're minimizing waste, as you said. Do you also see applications for this? Obviously, right now, there's a big movement around the wearable technology. And have you been working with any clients on any projects where they're trying to embed electronics, LEDs, and other wearable tech into their textiles? Oh, yes. So we already 
have a first few customers that have brought out wearable products, including embroidery technology. Further from that, we're working with all of the world, probably like 30 or 35 universities by now, where many of them are doing a lot of research in the wearable market. A number of further companies are working very strongly on finding products or patenting products at the moment, just about releasing products, including embroidery technology into wearable products. So the wearable market certainly is one of the big drivers for the next years. This actually, we're working with the BFDA. We're getting a, we're looking into a grant that was promised to us so to bring in one of those machines there and see if we can do some more experimentation for all the technology people in the, in, in the sector of New York. That's fantastic. Yeah. Exciting. And, and that's, that's the fantastic news for anyone looking at studying or learning about textiles and textile engineering. You know, it, it used to be an industry with little development over many, many years. Whereas now, and it's not only embroidery, there are also other um, textile machinery companies in completely different fields, whether it's knitting or weaving, that, that bring out solutions for technical garments. And that makes this entire industry really, really interesting also for young people to learn about it. And, you know, many big tech companies, they never want to deal with textiles because, you know, if you write a software, you, you write a piece of code and the software will do what you ask it to do. Whereas garments often behave very, very different. Now, they need the support to learn about textiles and textiles engineering. So this really is the time now for universities, especially in textile engineering, to get very close with very large companies that have big funds to, to invest and, and big research dollars to, to bring into this field um, to get something moving. But how do you do that? Because obviously this is a fast-moving industry with a lot of changes and trends and new technology and developments. How can you keep on top of it as well as innovate, as well as look at what your community needs? And, and So we as a company do not, in that field, do not only produce the machine, but more important, we do a lot of consulting work and support work for all our customers. Very early from the development stage. So when a customer comes to us, meets us at a trade show, for example, typically they come up with some ideas. So we'll start making samples for them in-house. And it takes quite a while, even if we give them all the training they need to really get their head around the textile engineering aspect of the products they might want to make. So we often find that for two or three years, we'll work very, very closely with these companies. We can learn a lot from them about their products. They learn a lot from us. And often we come up with ideas together for new solutions that we then bring to the market. So really, there's a lot of development in that field. I actually find it very interesting, the whole technology onto it. I would like to understand how do you compare your your laying down of the fiber and then converting it into an auto part? How, how would you compare that to 3D printing? Well... In, in both ways, we're using CAD software. In our case, it's a digitizing software, but we have written a lot of new functionality for that software in order to produce those parts in there in that CAD system. So it's similar to some aspect. Of course, with, with an embroidery machine, you need much more human interaction than with a 3D printer, of course. 
Well, I think it's very exciting because when I saw the 3D printers for the first, I've, I've seen the 3D printers for the past 20 years. I mean, my friend had a, a, a 3D printer, but when they were commercializing it a few years ago, I'm like, we could do that with the embroidery machines we already do. Um, laying down the fiber and then when you put epoxy and it could be at a much faster speed in sense of creating the parts versus like the dripping of, of the piece of the, of, of the material into the, and then waiting for it to happen, um, and sense for mass production. Um, that's, that's where I, when I talk about materials and when I'm passionate about materials, I'm not looking necessarily of the textile and fashion. I mean, it is because it's been my baby for the past few years, but I mean, for the past 20 years, but, um, I, I really believe also in, in, and I see ZSK more part of just being a whole network of things that we could do with those machines and technology. Taking this into mass production is a perfect time for a quick break. We'll get more into it right after this. Back soon with Material Is Your Business on Mouth Media Network. Am I, you know, entitled enough or educated enough or experienced enough, whatever you want to throw in there? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the, some of the things that I'm, I'm working on. And uh, I feel this is going to propel me to... Uh, hopefully dig deeper, and be actionable about it. Hi, this is Julie Chan, and I host a podcast on Mouth Media Network called All Possibilities. If you've ever wondered if there's more out there than the physical world, have ever wondered if you're living a life that is all it can be, or just want to be inspired, you're going to love this show. I had an Ivy League education, had a successful career, and lived a very rational life. A few years ago, I had a spiritual awakening and have since dedicated my life to being my own purpose of empowering others. I pursue my own knowledge of how spirituality intersects with science and business. From interviews with experts, scientists, and change leaders, to mesmerizing intuitive readings with my guests, my goal with each episode is to inform and inspire pretty much anyone. New episodes of All Possibilities are available every Monday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time at allpossibilitiesshow.com and wherever great podcasts are found. Please join me, subscribe to the show, and keep looking out for All Possibilities. Welcome back to Material Is Your Business, a show featured on Mouth Media Network. You can find a lot of other great shows in fashion, beauty, fitness, and spirituality, all on mouthmedianetwork.com, so be sure and check it out. Today, we are here with Julius, the president of ZSK, a German-based company that makes fascinating embroidery machines. And we were just talking about comparing the embroidery machines and its technology to 3T printing. Samantha, did you want to jump in on it? Yes. Uh, one of the things that I was uh, really excited about when I, when I learned about the, the technical machines is that we could stitch down some carbon fiber and convert it into auto parts or other fibers and convert it into a uh, surfboard or something along those lines. Can you, can, you, can you give us a little snapshot on that? Of course. So we're using carbon, glass fiber, or any of the other materials, and then we use normal thread and the zigzag stitch 
to stitch these materials down. We can stitch multi-layers, we can stitch exactly the shape of the component that's needed afterwards for the next process. And I think that that's what, what you know, you're looking for more information on Samantha. In most products, the embroidery machine in this case, different to what it would typically do in, in other fields, for example, we would make a curtain where we would more or less produce the final product. Um, we will need many more processes afterwards to make a final product out of it because most of the time we will just stitch down a typical carbon roving, for example, a 12K or 50K roving. And the next process would be to bring the part that we produce on the embroidery machine into shape, put the epoxy on it, um, cured, and yeah, then afterwards bring it to other processes until the final component is made out of that that could be used for automotive applications or other applications. I think that's absolutely fascinating to see a carbon fiber on paper, then the steps just after two or three, two steps, you have it into a auto part, really well molded, and you could get so much precision onto it. It's like, and this is the same machine that lays down little flowers? <laughs> to me. And what's very important to, to know, I think, for, for our listeners is that the technology is not just there for one-piece production as, as small 3D printers are, but actually, f with our experience, our job was always mass production, so quantity. Quantity needs to be produced fast and cheap. Comparing to other technologies, embroidery machines are rather low-cost equipment right so we build very very large machines that do allow mass production and do you have a lot of those machines sitting here in the united states as well and are you providing kind of ongoing education and support to people to understand how to use the machines i'm just thinking about you know the schools here and are people getting education and learning more about embroidery machines or is there kind of an education barrier that we need to push through so in the U.S. market, we already have a good number of technical embroidery machines. Most of the machines that we have in the U.S. as of today are machines that we would call sampling machines. So most of the customers we have here in the U.S. are tech companies that doing the research of this technology but will not do in-house production. They will afterwards go to Asia, South America, or even to Europe to, to outsource the production over there. Now, as of today... The technology is mainly used by, the, by, by our customers themselves who produce the final product, right? What is a little bit missing at this point in time in the U.S., it's slowly growing. The first universities have started, but looking at the size of the country, comparing that to other countries, for example, in Europe, they are a step ahead in that because so many more universities have taken the step ahead, have taken embroidery machines or other equipment for technical textiles, and have already been doing research for the last 10 years on those products. Why do you think that is, that the United States is kind of a little bit behind when it comes to understanding the technical aspects of using these machines and it's all elsewhere? Maybe one of the reasons is that there is no embroidery machine manufacturer who's based in the U.S. who's working in that field. So us as a German company... You know, looking at this technology only started 10 or 15 years ago, which for the age of our company is rather a shorter time period. It took also us a while to find the right trade shows to show these type of machines to the right customers and for customers to even think about that a 
textile machinery could solve certain problems. This time has come over the last three or four years. And now these customers go back to universities and say, hey, we need your support of your young students. We need their ideas, their creativity. Please come up with solutions for possible problems. But Julius, I think also that has to do with a lot of the lack of manufacturing here done domestically. Um, we have found the sampling with a few of the people there, but when it comes to mass production, we lack of that. And, and, um, and that's what um, we're starting to build now, the, that, that manufacturing. And it's easier in, in Europe because they still kept a, a certain portion of mass production there. So you had the people that were already um, understanding the embroidery. Um, going into that mass production, I think that the only mass production that really did stay domestically was the other division of your business, that is the embroidery machines per se, the ones that stitch the promotional products, the hats, the caps, the, the T-shirts. What? How... How have you grown in that sector and, and how it, in the U.S. Um, kept on growing into that sector since you've been on board in ZSK? So two points regarding your question. The one point is everything in the U.S. at the moment is about bringing production back domestically, right? So technical embroidery is actually a good way of producing products that could be done domestically. reason why is because in the past... Typical embroidery used to be very labor-intensive because you need a lot of labor to run the machines and all the process afterwards. Whereas in technical embroidery machines and the type of customers that we are having, they want to have everything automated. So we are producing automated solutions here that don't require zero labor, but very, very little labor compared to other processes. So it is a technology that could be used for mass production in this country. Now, regarding your second question, Samantha, the market of embroidery for emblems and for lettering and for logos in the promotion world that has been growing very much over the last years so since the slow turn of the economy in 2009 2010 where also the embroidery and embellishment market in the u.s was at a low over the last few years i think it had two digit growth numbers overall amongst all the brands that are selling here so the american market has been doing and continues to do very well for us that's actually very great because it's a, it's actually a, a side of an industry in manufacturing that people don't look at. It's um, the embroidery. I found it a little bit more stable than other other areas, and that's why I got into the embroidery end. And I've noticed that with with the, we did get really really hurt with the recession, but there was a stable market, and it was growing much faster than any other manufacturing of of clothing and sewing. And it's very important right now. I find it very interesting what you just said right now because a lot of the 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 new companies are really starting to look at let's get new things out into the US when we're looking at fabrics when we're looking at at different type of uh, products to to manufacture they're really looking at new technology so I'm very excited that you said that about you know the, the you're trying to make the process quicker because that's what the machines that they're looking for the more automated ones and you see that's also interesting for customers in that field why they like to work with ZSK because we know large embroidery houses in every country in the world. We are selling to more than 100 countries. We have the service infrastructure in more than 100, 100 countries of the world. And when we have a company approaching us in the U.S. telling us that they would like to produce technical embroidery products within the U.S., asking us for su suggestions who could do it, well, as of today, we would have to say we're not aware of a contract company 
that does high volumes of technical embroidery. However, we are aware of many also very large embroidery houses, not only in the promotional world, but also in the home textile or bed linen world, who have the potential to use their know-how that they have built up over decades in their family businesses to invest into such machinery and to become a supplier for domestic products. And that makes a lot of sense to me, especially, obviously, for the larger brands and, and companies across industries. I'm curious what you think, then, for kind of the smaller designers across industries, and how can they get information and access, and where can they go to learn more about this? So at this point in time, there are a number of very interesting trade shows here in the U.S. Um, most of them are on the West Coast at this point in time in the wearable market, but there's also a trade show called JEC. There's the Tech Textile Show. We're attending all these trade shows. We are always exhibiting machinery as well as know-how there. We have colleagues from our American distribution side there as well as German specialists. So also within our own company, we have split the two parts and we said we differentiate between normal embroidery, so to speak, and technical embroidery. And these technical embroidery specialists they travel over quite regular to the U.S. to consult and train customers. So if someone is interested to learn about this or gets his first machine, it typically comes in conjunction with two to four weeks of training and afterwards continuous training. So we have certain customers that you know, use us to come over to them every three or four months for a week and continue working on their products, teach them further and... You know, it's something where we both learn. We learn from them, but they learn from us what we see all over the world, learn, um, bring new, new materials to their mind, bring new processes to their mind. So that's the best way forward. And what are some of the kind of newest materials and newest processes that you're seeing? Any of the hottest trends in embroidery at the trade shows that's kind of coming, that's here now or coming soon? Well, one of the latest things that we have really brought into production is using sequin devices to place down electronics. So most of you will know what sequins are when, when you think of lady dresses with, with all the sequins stitched down. Now, when you think of smaller electronics, they're similar, right? It's, it's also a small component, sometimes, of course, longer and wider, but we can adjust the devices. And they need to be connected somehow to circuit. Now, there are companies like Statex from Germany that produce conductive yarn that we can stitch like normal embroidery yarn and use the machine to stitch down the part, but also to fix and to bring it into circuit. That has been one of the latest developments in that field. Can we go back to that one already? <laughs> I'm sorry, the one a little while um, that you mentioned. I, I I found really interesting the uh, you worked really closely with the sequence because if you go the um, I found really interesting that we work with the sequence company trying to come up with a uh, the, that device that you place down that with the the thread electronic thread. What does that do? Well. The sequence can have all sorts of functionality. The functionality is open, you know, to the customer's ideas, creativity, what he thinks he can bring onto functional sequence. It can be electronics, it can be RFIDs, it can be 
all sorts of things that, that I couldn't talk about here right now where I know what customers are doing this with this, but basically they're using sequence or a plastic, very, very thin plastic foils as a carrier material to bring certain items onto a textile. And what it creates is flexible electronics. Because when you think of electronics, it's typically a green board that, that you can't um, flex or anything. Whereas when you think of the wearables market, everything has to be flexible. And that's what we can do on those machines. When I was at Germany, I saw your machines. You had the attachment of the sequence onto the machines. I, it wasn't the technical machines, it was your regular machine. But what it had was a, a, a sequence that it dropped that with that and the stitching of the, um, the, the conductive thread created this light on the other end. When you when you put the so yeah that that's one of the examples what you could put on a sequin, it's an LED. So what we have done at many trade shows is to use sequins that were developed by a German university called TITV in Greiz, and they have brought these sequins as a functional item on sequins. Then we used the conductive yarn, connected all of this, brought that to a battery power, and light up caps. Light up anything you want, warning vests, or you you could think of applications like a, like a jacket for motorbike driver, where he could have indicators on the back of his jacket. You can bring all sorts of functionality into textile that way. But doesn't this now bring up a whole host of other issues and considerations that we need to look at around the actual textile manufacturing process, the weight, the durability, the washability at the end of its life? How how do we start to think about those things and where are those issues coming up? You're right, and that that's. Those are the interesting problems that are coming up, which makes this field so interesting for universities and for research. Because just think about the product I just mentioned. You bring in indicators into a jacket. So you need a source of power for that. So somewhere has to be a battery. Now, when you think of a shirt that is supposed to be very slim, you don't want to have a you know, big 9-volt battery block or some, somewhere in your shirt. So these are the sort of problems that are coming up. Well, certain things could be solved by bringing solar in. Solar would be another functionality that could be brought onto a sequence, so to speak. And then I could connect a solar panel with LED lights that, that would need the power the solar creates. But, but you're right. You know, we have several things we have to look at as the next step is how much weight do we bring into the textile? Where can we save weight? Um, are the people willing to, to carry this additional weight for the functionality they're getting? So these are the interesting questions that we as a manufacturer of machinery can't answer, but that research can. I work closely with doing research for, um, for some companies in the industry onto that. And one of the, a few of the questions, um, and they actually do work for different fields. Um, one of the, the biggest thing was about the battery on sense of washing. But um, what, on for me... What really it, it excites me is, it, is the data that's getting penetrated to to be able to detect certain things. Um, looking more into the motor, um, looking more into the hospital industry on detecting of a baby with SIDS that he wakes up at night. Um, have you heard a lot about that, Dora? And one of the things I do like a lot about you guys is that 
we can sit down and have a conversation about this. And other companies, you can't. So that's why I'm like, I'm diving in and asking you all these like really questions. <laughs> But I mean, uh, of course, the medical sector mm -hmm. is another huge sector where this technology can be applied because often the medical sector, um, also thinking about parts that, that go in the human body, um, need to be specific to the and use it to the customer in that, in, the, in that case. So we can produce one-piece parts within a very short time, whether it's parts you know, to connect bones or anything in the human body. Um, but there are also other applications to hospital. You, you talked about a baby. Um, let's think about other applications. For example, a hospital wants to observe whether the patient stays in bed or something. We could bring sensors in a mattress to observe whether someone is in bed or how he moves in, in, in the bed. These are all possible applications where our technologies could be used for. Um, but there are also other applications like the heating, for example, which could also um, be another health application, but also just for um, a luxury for customers. When you look at ski boots, for example, today, they're, they're one of the products where heating has been implemented where battery is not a big problem so you can buy heated ski boots today next thing could be that you know you buy a heated jacket um you know walking in winter you can heat your hands in there and stuff like this then the prosthetic legs yeah of you course. can mold it <laughs> of course so all that could be done out of carbon i can bring in heat heating wires so you know even if it's minus degrees outside I can keep the body at temperature and, um, yeah. And are you finding right now when it comes to heating, obviously, and like you said, people think on the body and, you know, what if it burns and what kind of regulations uh, are around that right now and how do you prevent any issues from happening? With the technology you guys are using right now when it comes to heating, I don't know if you're working on any that are currently heated and worn on the body, but how would you have a battery pack that removes and are you working with solar energy instead? It's obviously um, a problem and a consideration. So for us as a machine manufacturer, this is one step too far, right? This is the customer who has to make a decision for themselves. What are the benefits of batteries? What are the benefits of solar? We can just deliver solutions to integrate both of them. We can deliver solutions to integrate solar, which has pros and cons, and we can deliver solutions where batteries are included. What I find interesting about that market, that is very different than other markets when it comes to the tech market, a tech market um, is that they share information. So if somebody comes up with something, they'll be like, wow, we came up with the heating the, the, and, and they share. At least the community that we have here in the New York area, they tend to be a little bit more sharing into what That you know what things when they come up. Yeah, you don't always see that in, in our, any <laughs> industry. In any industry. <laughs> But it's like it's so exciting, it's so new, it's so they they tend to do that here. You see, we have to be very careful in what we share because, of course, we work with many large companies in their development processes, and are sometimes aware of some of the future products, and have of course signed NDAs of them, so we'd never be allowed to speak about such products. But what we do at the trade shows is to share our technology and to provide ideas, some of them we have patented, like, for example, combining carbon and carbon components and, and wires in there to, to transmit data 
Um, you could imagine a car door out of carbon where wires are already stitched into the carbon door that transmits data. Things like this are applications that, that we have thought about. We show similar things at a trade show to just bring up the idea how material can be combined. And then our job afterwards is when a customer comes up with an idea, then we'll help him how to solve it using our technology or bring up suggestions of other technologies in combination with ours, how it could be solved. And that's our task. Have there been in the embroidery industry any major ideas, ideas you've been working on with customers that have failed for a certain reason and something you guys have learned about that and it helped drive a, f a future product? So as always, where innovation is being done, not all the products that being fought through really get into the market. So looking at Europe, a lot of EU funding is going to that market because looking at Austria, looking at Switzerland, but also looking at Germany, we have three markets that are full of embroidery machines, both multi-hat as well as Shifley embroidery machines. Many people still live, um, living off producing fashion, which is reducing in quantity and in many cases because has moved to Asia. So the EU or the local governments are very much interested to keep those jobs in their area. So they have created a lot of projects funding such development. Um, what is the percentage of products really getting to market? Yes, you're right. It's probably still very, very small. Have we all learned a lot from that? Yes, we have. So a lot of the things we are today accept accepting as a standard in technical embroidery has been researched that that has been found through these projects. And the interesting thing in the embroidery industry, Samantha, and that, that's what, what you're saying, I think it's right, and you find this all over the world, people in the embroidery sector stick together. Yes, of course, there's competition, but they work together and they share information. So you often find that these projects are not just done by one company, but there are groups of companies that, that have created research groups, there are embroidery houses and universities teaming up together. So we'd be very excited to see the same happening here in the U.S. Any specific innovation or idea or application that you personally want to look at and explore in the future or something you've thought about for maybe the direction of ZSK that you want to share? You see, I think here in the U.S., especially considering what's happening on the West Coast, the wearable market will be the market that's most exciting. And sometimes talking to the customers, what they think will come out over the next two or three years, often we can't even imagine that that could be there in 10 years. In reality, they'll have it in the market in two or three years. So it's it's crazy how far they are with thoughts. So for me personally, it's very exciting to, to see what's happening in the wearable market. And it makes us very proud to see that it an existing and old technology such as embroidery is being used for such innovative products. It's time for a fast break, and then we're back with our fun last segment called Remnants, where we get to ask personal questions. Back soon with Material Is Your Business on Mouth Media Network. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, another great show on Mouth Media Network. If you like the podcast you're listening to, Material Is Your Business, then I bet you're going to love Fashion Is Your Business, which intersects fashion, technology, and innovation, and also American Fashion Podcast, which Harper's Bazaar calls for the true fashion nerd at heart. 
Both shows and a whole bunch of other great podcasts are all available at mouthmedianetwork.com. And when you do listen, let us know you heard about them on Material Is Your Business. Thanks a lot, and now back to the show. Welcome back to Material Is Your Business. We're here with Julius, the president of ZSK, and it's time for... And now, it's Remnants. That's right, Remnants. It's where we get to ask you personal questions. We have no idea what we will ask, or we haven't thought about the order yet and how we're going to solve that. We're going to pull a piece of material apart. We have no idea what we want to ask. We don't know the order either. We're going to rip apart this piece of embroidered fabric, and the person who gets the longest piece will go first. And it's me. So there's been a lot of press recently about how now on a lot of major airlines, you can't have a laptop anymore with you. And so obviously, since you traveled here to New York from Germany and you had to fly and you can't use your laptop and let's say they have no Wi-Fi, so you can't use your phone, what would you be caught doing on the plane? Oh, if I couldn't take my laptop, that, that would be a big problem. Luckily... You know, I'm still coming from a country which hasn't been blocked yet. But of course, there's always the option to watch all the videos which or the movies, which otherwise I only have very little chance to watch them because of the work. So probably watching the latest movies that are on the plane. And what kind of movies? Well, really all, all sorts of movies. Um, I like documentaries, but there's always only limited selection. So I will probably look at what's the latest stuff there. So you said that you didn't have a lot of time to watch movies or for personal things. What keeps you so busy in addition to your work? Well, traveling is part of the work. So, you know, work is my hobby, so to speak, you know. Um, it's, it's passion and a hobby at the same time. And being in the embroidery industry, having all these markets that we are serving with more than 100 countries that we are present in, it's constant traveling. So as I'm here today, I'll be back in the US in two weeks time. It's it's constantly traveling. So that's what really keeps me busy. And while you're here in New York, what do you have to do? Any particular place that you have to visit or food you have to eat? Oh, you know, I love the breakfast place in the US because that's something special you don't find in other places where you can have the brunch on a Sunday morning in New York. That That's great. And now it's Samantha's turn. <laughs> so, Julius, it's um, I've known you over ten years already, and it's actually I would imagine everybody in the embroidery industry does know you here in the U.S. And they've always been very curious about how does he even have a time to even have a personal life <laughs> because you're traveling so much. Now, going into that topic. Um, what do you what do you do when you're in Germany and what what do you like to do and Well you see I've been very lucky that I had international education so I have many friends all over the world so when I'm in New York I can have dinner with friends no matter where I go in most countries around the world besides seeing the customers or also friends many customers of the year, years became very close friends that you go out with so whether I'm in Germany or here I have friends all over the world, so they consider you the most available bachelor in Germany. 
Oh no, that I you guess will him not anymore. spend time with him ever because he's always away. <laughs> well, you see, every job has different ups and downs, and I guess this job at this time in, in my life is a very, very interesting job. And you know, our entire team—we have a team of eight salespeople in Germany that travel constantly all over the world. Most of them have their contents that they look after. In my case, I, I travel all the places. Um, it's a fascinating job. To, to see how places are different, how the industry is different, how cultures are different. So it's very, very interesting. Favorite places to travel yeah. to? My one of my favorite places are places like Pakistan, for example, right? It's places when, when you talk to someone in, in, in Germany, they, they, they will be shocked and, and they will say, well, isn't there just terrorism and, and bombs blowing up or something like this? But it's, it's places where you have very, very close relations with very, very nice customers and friends and you know traveling to a country like pakistan over the last 10 years it's fascinating to see how far these countries develop you know the, the first time i came there there were no traffic lights everyone drove the way they wanted next time you come they have traffic lights they're going on and off red and green no one cares about them two years later people will stop at a red traffic light they will put flowers around the roads later they'll put street signs so that that's a fascinating part of what we're doing be, beside all the products that are being embroidered on the machines to, to see these countries changing. But also a country like the U.S. is very fascinating um, looking at the size, considering the different um, cultures and areas that, that you have here traveling across a country. That, that fascinates me. Do you really find that much culture difference between the states? Within the states? Yes, in the United States. Oh, I think so. I mean, when, 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 when you look how people behave and how business works, whether I'm on the East Coast or on the West Coast, um, especially when we're looking at the tech companies we are dealing with, how laid back they are, but at the same time, um, what, you know, brilliant colleagues or employees they have, it's, it's, it's a huge difference that I find there. As you look at your travels and the differences in culture and experiences that you're having um, as, as a businessman, do you find that you have to adjust or change your approach and your behavior and your mannerisms when you're in those different locations? And how do you do navigate that? And give us examples. <laughs> oh, yeah, very much. I mean, in most parts of the world, you know, we are very proud of the machinery built. We are, we are out there for more than 100 years so typically, you would find us presenting our equipment in a very professional way. So you would find all of us wearing suits and ties going to a trade show. So when I came over to the U.S. the first few times being at a trade show, we would all come in, in suits and ties um, because of a lack of understanding of, of the, the culture here. The result of that was that, not scaring people, but you know, we would leave the impression to, to many of the customers visiting us that maybe we were very expensive or um, difficult to deal with. Whereas, you know, in the U.S. it's fine if you go on a reasonable shirt and, and trousers to a trade show and present yourself in a professional way. There's a big difference. This wouldn't work when we would go to a trade show in Asia, Asia for example, where they would expect us as a German high-quality company to, to be there in a suit and tie. And I can imagine there's a lot of kind of interesting language implications and barriers as well when you're talking about technical machines and you're trying to explain and teach it that you have to navigate that as well to help them understand what it is you're doing. Of course. So language is always a big thing. I mean, for us, it's easy because in most parts of the world, um, we get along with English and German. 
However, we also have colleagues at DSK that speak six or seven languages because it's very important for us to work with the customers in their own language to prevent misunderstandings. But of course, to me, English is only my second language and same goes for most of my colleagues. So, you know, you have to be careful um, to, to prevent misunderstandings, especially where you have different slang in different parts of the English-speaking world, whether it's in different parts of the US, England or Australia, different meanings or different sayings can very easily upset people. What's the funniest slang that you've encountered into that statement? Oh, I'm not, I'm not very good with slangs or also copying dialects. So um, I have another colleague who's, who's amazing in, in copying dialects. So he would be the right person to ask that. <laughs> it was interesting because um, one of the times I was in Mexico, I would say excite, excite in Spanish. And they pulled me and said, shut up, that is a bad <laughs> word. <laughs> Can you maybe give us a final thought as you reflect on either this discussion, your personal experience, your professional life and work, any final message you want to share? So I think it's fantastic that the work you're doing here, especially picking this topic, because I think it's just the right time to push it here in the U.S. Um, you have such a high knowledge base here in the U.S. You have a huge history in textile in the U.S., so I'm really looking forward to push it. Um, so thanks for your help and, and bring up this topic here. Thank you, Julius. It was a pleasure having you. Can you let our audience know how to connect with you and your business? Is there a good place to reach out? Of course. You can visit us on, on Facebook or Twitter. The easiest way to find more information about what we have talked about today is um, our website, technical-embroidery.com. Well, thank you very much, Julius. And for Samantha Cortez, thank you. And I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everybody. Thank you for listening and see you next time on Material Is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.